You're listening to The Bunker New York, live on Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York here on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick, and we have a special Mysteries of the Deep edition today. Um, first up is William Selman, who you're hearing live in the background right now. He'll be joining us for an interview after the live set. And then on the second half of the show, we have certain creatures also playing live and joining us for an interview. Kind of a deeper, more ambient show today. So enjoy. We're here for the next two hours. You're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio.
Thank you.
You're listening to Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. We're here doing a Mysteries of the Deep edition, and we just heard a live set from William Selman. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that was uh, that was really, really fantastic. Um, and I guess to get right into it, since this is a Mysteries of the Deep broadcast, you have an album coming? I in, do. In April. I do. I am very excited. Um, it's a... It's, it's a real pleasure to be working uh, with Grant and the Mysteries of the Deep Label. It definitely feels like a kind of friend's enterprise. Um, yeah, for it's just, sure. It's just really nice to work with people you like and respect and listen to you and are trying and are trying to do the make the best product possible. Right. So how did that relationship come about that led to the uh, you being on the label, I guess? Well, um, Grant and I knew each other from a mailing list called Fear of Music that was founded by a, a friend of mine, Ken Meyer, Carl Meyer, who DJ Carl's probably super famous now in Berlin. <laughs> uh, but Ken and, and Carl had this kind of music nerd mailing list, started off as people super into techno and electronic music. And I met Grant through that. Yeah. We set up a, a Slack channel, and uh, we uh, ended up talking a lot, and we ended up um, sharing music, and he was really interested in, in having me out last year. Um, that would At this point, that would have been 2016. I played a set in, in New York, and it was really great. And then he said, hey, we've been doing a series. Like, I want to start a label, but do it right, do it, do it for real, and like put... An investment into it in terms of time and resources and i said great and he said can you send me some some stuff that you're working on and i sent it to him and the first batch of things he was he was into but he said you know i'd like you to to, to make some changes here and there and actually i really like having that kind of relationship with a label with somebody who has a vision who also is helpful in terms of editing down yeah, uh, having my, my ideas. Second set of ears on things can always be, yeah, good. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. You were saying you met on Fear of Music and how that list started with techno enthusiasts, and how I feel like over the years everybody was always into more ambient, deeper sounds. But it seems like as we've all gotten older, <laughs> it's becoming more and more the dominant theme. You know what I mean? Well, we just we just want to want to chill. Yeah. <laughs> world now yeah um so well speaking of labels you've looking through your discogs you've as william selman you've worked with a lot of different labels doing mostly cassette releases mm -hmm. um why is there any particular reason for the cassettes or that's just <laughs> i mean i'm assuming it's probably not your preference um i i am cass cassette agnostic i actually own a cassette player yeah, me too. Um, I buy cassettes of, of releases that I like. It's a, it's a nice physical product. It's not my preferred format, um, but at the same time, I was working with labels that were just getting started or had a long-running cassette series in the case of Digitalis. And it just that was kind of the format that it worked out. There was also digital. To me, it was more important that they be you know, mastered and sound right. good. 
Uh, so in that case, like the format wasn't that important to me. And there was always a digital version as well, or some of those cassette only. Yeah, it was there's always a there's always a digital version. Right. So and it's it's just kind of it's an I guess it's kind of a cheap way to have some kind of physical object. Yeah. I mean, I do have the the, the rights to all the music, so if if anyone wanted to put it out on vinyl, that would be the William Selman <laughs> box Com- <set>. compilation, <laughs> right? But yeah, that was just the the way it worked out and Honestly, like those, you know, working with Housey Mountain was great, has been great. Maybe we'll work together again. Um, working with Digitalis was great. Um, it's been, it's been, uh, I'm really happy with, with those, those releases. Yeah. And so we're listening to a mix in the background of your, it's some tracks from the upcoming album. And some of the material on this mix is Wildcard of Cascadia. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? What's that? How did, how did that come about? And what is this project? So Wild Wild Card of Cascadia is a group project that I'm doing with with Marcus Fisher, who does stuff on 12K, and with with Paul Dickow, who does strategies and stuff on Cranky and OnTract, and has been around doing awesome music for a long time. We all live in Portland. Paul just kind of pinged me. I wasn't I didn't really know many musicians uh, for the first few years I lived in Portland, and then he pinged me a couple of years ago and said, hey, I, I knew your stuff from when you used to do like house music and um, do you, what are you doing now? Like, I'm interested in hearing your stuff. And I sent him some links and we ended up going out for beers, which is what you do in Portland. Yep, that's and, what we did when I was in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> and had a great conversation, totally hit it off. Um, and then he said, you know, I want to start a band. And I said, okay. And he said, it doesn't have to be like a band in the traditional guitar bass drum sense, but just a group of people who are making music together and it's a collective enterprise because I feel like everyone's doing solo music now and I just want, I want there to be like a, a, a group setting and I'd like this, I've always wanted to do more improvisational kinds of music. It doesn't have to be strictly electronic, like the most boring thing that I can think of imaginable is like three dudes noodling on, on modulars and like I don't want it to sound like that but there's so many cassettes like that <laughs> <laughs> let's let's like let's like just get together and and play and that's what we did for a long time um, we ended up just jamming in my garage and recording it and then we liked a lot of the results that we came up with and just edited them down and then we had an offer to do uh, concerts in the summer with High Plains with, with Scott Morgan who does Low Soul. Oh, very nice. this side project that is uh, with um, a cellist uh, and it's really nice. We did some dates on the, the West Coast and it was just great. Like it was totally different every night. Like we kind of had a plan but not really like kind of the same way that I, I tend to play live. Like I have like a basic structure like we have a basic structure but we want it to be like fresh and live and different every night and and not be predictable. And you guys aren't really trying to be professional musicians necessarily, right? You all have jobs <laughs> and yeah, well, um we yeah, we do have jobs. Um I yeah, I'm not trying to make a living from this. Um that would be kind of I don't know, like, I, I've never really kind of wanted to make a living from music. Like, I've always wanted it to be my creative outlet where I didn't have 
necessarily to rely on it for income or... Right. So even when you were doing, you mentioned, uh, maybe we should talk about what you did in the early 2000s. You were doing like minimal techno in-house. Yeah. And even back then it was, you weren't trying to... I don't know, get booked at techno clubs. You're just, is it, has it always been, I guess, more of a hobby? And I, I think that's maybe a, a very good thing, honestly. Um, well, I, you know, I mean, I certainly like playing out. I certainly like producing. In, in the case of, yeah, in the, the, the work that I did in, in Chicago when I lived there for 15 years before I moved to Portland, there's a, you know, like pretty, big techno and house music scene. I got really interested in that music when I lived there. That was the kind of music that I was making. And it was there honestly like especially the you know that that music then was kind of when the, the it was around the time when like the market for for actually making a living off of of music fell apart. So right. It was never about the money and it, there was really no money in it and the kind of music that I'm doing now there's not necessarily any money in it and that's okay with me yeah i mean I'm, we're gonna like we, we play like basement shows in portland like it's like totally just like a community kind of thing yeah well it feels to me that it's more pure in a way that you're not it just it's completely removed from financial concerns really right so you're, not, you're just the decisions you're making about music are not driven by some market force or desire to right yeah and especially in the case of wildcard like we we have you know, we all have our own separate jobs that have nothing to do with music. And for us, it's just like, it's just really like a enjoyable, pleasurable experience just yeah. to like play with other people. So you mentioned a couple times being in Chicago and then the Pacific Northwest. When, when did you make that move and why? We moved about seven years ago and my wife... And I had met, and we both lived in Chicago for about 15 years. And neither of us really had family there. Like, she was from St. Louis, and I was originally from from Texas. And so we both lived there for a long time in Chicago. We both really liked it a lot. But at the same time, like, it felt really kind of hard to live there after a while. Especially winter kind of kind of got to me. That's what I always hear about Chicago. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been there in the winter, but that's what everybody says. After a bit, yeah. And I remember that we were sitting in, in her apartment and there was a blizzard. It was like a whiteout. We were like, why are we living here? And uh, she managed, she got a job in Portland. We looked at several different cities around on, in the West. We wanted to move West. And she got a job there. And we were like, great. I know some people there. Let's just... Let's start over as a West Coast family. And you had you had the kid in Portland then, or before? Yeah, yeah. No, we we had our son in, in Portland. Very cool. Yeah, everything seems. Maybe you have some insight into this. Just very. I was only in Portland for one night, <laughs> but it seems very nice. Like the people are so friendly, and it's just yeah. super chill. Like you can feel it as soon as you get into the city. Yeah, it's 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 a really easy place to live. It's very um, that's changing. Like, it's it's growing. Like, there's a lot more people who want to move there for that those reasons. Like, I'm not gonna be one of those people who's like, don't move here. Like, it's it is a but as more people move there, it it, it becomes a little more difficult. But it has managed to maintain its like 
super relaxed vibe. Like it's just people have adopted that kind of culture in the Pacific Northwest in general. People are really friendly. Um, it's just it's pleasant and it's kind of spoiled me. Like you go to the airport and like the TSA is like nice there. Like yeah. they're friendly and smile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody I encountered everywhere in the city was just, I think I was telling you before the show, when I DJed there, there were 150 people there. It was a small room and like 20 or 30 people walked up to me to tell me how great they thought the set was. Yeah. That doesn't happen to me. I just, it'll be... 500 people and three or four will say right. that but it's like everybody in the room wanted to be like that was so great right I'm so excited to meet you i'm so thank you so much for coming yeah i was just like what is going on here yeah it was a, i have to say it was a coming from chicago when we first moved there it was a bit of culture shock it was like what why why are, why are people talking to me like why why is everyone so nice but just just the way things that's just the way that the culture is and do you feel it's changed your music moving from Chicago to there? Oh, for sure. For sure. Like moving to the West Coast. I mean, first of all, like I would say my stress level is like way lower than it than it was when I lived in Chicago. And there's just something about like the sort of history of the place that just at least people I know who live there like it's all like music is definitely there's something in the water, people say, <laughs> there. It's all, it tends to attract people who are making, like, more spacious kinds of music. Um, there's, it's just, um, I think, a, a pleasant place. Yeah, it's a bit of a hippie vibe. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I never would have, like, thought about doing stuff with, like, singing bowls and, and uh, uh, doing more, like, kind of droney ambient music when I was living in Chicago. Right. Well, it's it's remarkable that you moved to Portland and you now have a kid and you're less stressed out. That's... <laughs> I don't think I've ever... I can remember anybody well, ever saying like, oh yeah, I was so much more stressed out before I had this kid. <laughs> well... <laughs> it's... It goes... It comes goes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, of course. And you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. Big thanks to William Selman, and we're going to get right into the next live set, which is Certain Creatures, who released the first album on Mysteries of the Deep. Uh, continuing the Mysteries of the Deep theme here, we'll be here for another hour and 15 and we're going to talk to certain creatures after his set so stay tuned for all of that again you're listening to the bunker new york on red bull radio
are listening to Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick. Just getting out of a live set from Certain Creatures. Thanks a lot. That was awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, and before we get into the interview, just a couple of bunker announcements while I have time here. Uh, next Saturday, February 10th, we're doing a party at Elsewhere with Paranoid London Live, Jason Loveland Live, Further Reductions Live, Abby Ekaveri Live, and then DJ sets from Mike Servito and Derek Plazleko, Jane Fitz, Clay Wilson, and Rao. And then the following weekend, on February 17th, we're doing our first party at Nowadays, which is the new indoor venue from the Mr. Saturday Night folks in Ridgewood. And that's with Patrick Russell doing an eight-hour set. So check those out. More info at thebunkerny.com. And in two weeks, on February 15th, we're releasing the 15 Years of the Bunker compilation, which is a three-hour, 26-track compilation with... Uh, well, music from a lot of people you've heard of. So check that out on the release page on thebunkerny.com. Um, so yeah, we're here with certain creatures. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, uh, I guess not playing live, but you're no stranger to radio. You've been doing this Sensoria show with uh, the Bunkers Clay Wilson for how long now? Um, wow, probably for almost two years. <laughs> Has it really been? Yeah, no, that makes sense yeah. because I remember the, the lot was kind of starting out right around the time I started doing the show here. So yeah, that's yeah. been that's been about two years and you guys do four hours we every four Thursday hours. morning. Yeah, I mean, how is that and how has the the, I guess like the ritual, the weekly ritual of doing that, like changed your, I mean, how has that affected your perspective on music and DJing and? Well, it made me, uh, it makes me pay attention a lot more Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> I have to prepare a show every week. Yeah. Uh, I mean, usually I usually prepare for them or at least, you know, try to find new music to play every week there, you know, sometimes, you know, I have a lot going on and I don't have as much time to like dig around, but you know. Also, I'm, I'm sure you're the same where you have so much music anyways. <laughs> that yeah. It just like doesn't really, I'm still discovering things in my library or, you know, even, you know, records that I have that I have barely even scratched the surface with. So. Right. I mean, one of the things that feels very different about Sensoria than when I was doing, I mean, this is a different format of radio show than I, when I did college radio and played every week as I would play a lot of the same songs that I really liked mm -hmm. week after week. But my, at least from my point of view, it seems like with Sensoria, you guys are doing like every show is very, like it's got the same vibe, but it's very different in a way. You're not playing the same songs every week. You're really yeah. not even the same theme every week, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think Clay and I, well, Clay and I both have record store backgrounds. So I think that sort of comes off in, you know, with the show and then with the Jupiter Disco Night also. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, there, there'll be times when, you know, I'll get a, a text from Clay the night before and he'd be like, oh, do you want to just play like minimal wave type stuff tomorrow? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we kind of like will randomly sort of like pick a theme or, you know, I've done like all early 4AD type shows or, you oh, know. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, or like, you know, generally we stick to like a, you know, 
you know, 80, 70% of the time, it's like, I'll open up with ambient, <laughs> like more experimental stuff. And then Clay will come in and do, you know, more, you know, club kind of stuff. And then you mentioned Jupiter Disco. What's that, what's that about? You guys also... So aside from doing a four-hour radio show every week, you do every... Every Sunday at Jupiter Disco in Bushwick. And it's pretty much the same format as the radio show, just in a bar, <laughs> basically. Yeah, but that's a that's a lot of weekly responsibilities right there. Y- yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still enjoying it? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, doing a weekly, uh, the radio show is more fun for me personally because it's like a nice way to start or kind of end the week with and it's early in the morning so it doesn't really interfere with my day so much. Um, Sundays are a little bit more difficult because it's Sunday and it's every Sunday and so, you know, I don't really get that chill downtime Sunday. Um, Yeah, that's why I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> not there most Sundays. But I was there this week. You guys had uh, Leisure Muffin and Abby Ekberry playing live. Yeah, that, that was, was so good. That was awesome. Super fun. Do you frequently have guests on? I know you do on the radio show. Do you have guests at the party as well? Or not is... as often. Um, we'll have guests um, if one of us maybe can't do it, or uh, you know, if somebody approaches us and asks us if they, you know, they ha- have interest in playing so we'll you know we'll figure it out um but that was actually cool sunday because that was our first live show we haven't had any live sets um at jupiter yet so that was really cool it worked really well yeah honestly there's enough space and the sound is kind of good and clear enough throughout the venue that you can just yeah pretty much put the performers in the middle of it yeah it's a a really amazing sound system and the room itself is you know 70 capacity maybe so it's it's a really nice room to hear music in general so an incredible bar yeah it's one of my favorite bars in new york for like the cocktails are absolutely yeah outstanding and super unique and original Yeah. yeah so Jupiter Disco. Yeah. Everybody in New York. Go to Jupiter. Sunday and nights. Order a Salt Nash. Come on yeah. Sundays. <laughs> the Salt Nash. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, so we're hearing tracks in the background underneath the interview right now from your uh, new album on Mysteries that was just released when? Like super recently. Um, yeah. It came out in January in the US. Um, and actually, tomorrow is uh, the you know worldwide release date. Um, so it should be in shops, uh, starting tomorrow. Yeah. Online and yeah, physical. Yeah. Physical. Or it's on... a really nice looking vinyl package, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Got mine in the mail. Yeah. Beautiful photography from Candace Price, who does, uh, visuals at, um, the mysteries, uh, parties and also, um, works with Grant a lot on the, uh, is doing Will's, uh, did Will's photo also on that record cover, right? Is that Candace's? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's Grant, who does the Mysteries of the Deep label and said he didn't want to talk, but we shoved a microphone <laughs> in his face anyways. Um, so maybe talk a, talk a little bit about how, how this came about, this relationship with Grant and your album on Mysteries. And I mean, I think it's kind of tied into some performances at the events, yeah. podcasts, etc. Yeah, Grant had approached me about playing the mystery mysteries party i guess over two years ago now um october of 2015 
And um, yeah, I played the party. It was awesome. It was uh, Jonas Reinhardt and uh, Birds of Prey played and Patrick Russell DJed. Um, it was just like, it was an amazing night and uh, always, you know, I'd been going to the mysteries parties. Uh, since I'm pretty sure I went to almost all of them except for when I was out of town. But um, at some point, Grant just approached me. I mean, a year, year and a half later, um, about uh, releasing a record on mysteries that he had been thinking about um, starting the label up. And um, I had also been, since the mysteries performance, I had been re recording. Um, that live set turning him into more of an album format. Um, and so, you know, I'd been working on that for a year and a half or so, just sort of recording, scratching recordings, you know, going back and forth. And I just assumed nobody was ever going to release it. <laughs> well, you um, spend, you spend, it seems like you spend a lot of time when you have a live gig or a radio show like today. It's not, you're not, you're kind of not just playing the songs off the record like you're, or you're, kind of creating a new body of work every time you play live yeah yeah it's um you know i i just i get bored if i'm playing the same thing over yeah over i would again. i would imagine <laughs> yeah so i mean you know unless unless there's a some sort of reason for me to actually play like i'd love to play the record but i it would have to make sense for me to actually figure out how to put together that live set in general but um also you know i think every time i write a live set um which is usually anytime i play live i write a new one um <laughs> unless i'm playing like a string of shows at once like i you know a couple years ago i did a tour of the pacific northwest and i had you know i had one set that oh I yeah out, i remember that yeah, yeah that makes sense yeah but you know any you know i don't play on a regular basis so you know anytime i play out especially in new york it's usually something new and and it, you know it's also uh, an exercise for me to be a better performer and you know writer you know if I just kept playing the same thing over and over again I feel like I wouldn't get as much out of it other than practice for that particular set you know right well how long I mean I've known you for a few years and you've been releasing music on other New York labels as well right for the past few years but how long I don't really know your history with music. Like how long have you been uh, actively working on your own electronic music? Um, well, I mean, I've, you know, I played in bands since the 90s, mid 90s. And I, uh, working in the record store in the 90s, I was a buyer in a record store in Florida, um, became really interested in, it was sort of like the heyday of IDM and all that stuff. So I slowly started, you know, I bought a computer and, you know, bought a few analog synths and started playing around. That was probably around like 99, 2000. Didn't know what I was doing <laughs> at all. Right. So what are the band, <laughs> what are the bands you started out in? Um, well, in the uh, mid nineties, I was in a hardcore band um, called Shy Halud. Um, I played with them until about 90, 1999, maybe. Yeah, I remember um, uh, Cloutier, Eric Cloutier, who's actually hardcore hardcore fan yeah well, I've heard when i about mentioned this. when i mentioned you he was like that's the guy from that band oh my god so were you guys like a big deal uh did some, you tour some people think we were. uh yeah we uh, outside of eric Cloutier, yeah. or is it just him He's, with like the hoodie have, he has the hoodie yeah. and the we have one fan <laughs> 
Yeah, they, uh, you know, they, they have a pretty big following. I think there's, I don't, I mean, honestly, like, I haven't really been involved with that scene since I left the band. Because um, I, I left the band initially, well, for various reasons, but mostly because I just didn't have, I had very little interest in that music. You know, it just sort of, like, fizzled for me. I can see that happening, working yeah. in a record store, being in a hardcore band, yeah. starting to discover these other sounds. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I just, you know, I, they would always make fun of me when we were on tour because when, when I would be driving, you know, I got to pick the music and I'd be playing, you know, Third Eye Foundation. They'd be like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> <You know? laughs> what are these meowing sounds? You know? <laughs> so when you, when you weren't driving, you were, what were you listening to? Just... Oh God! I mean, Phoenicia, Soul Oddity, and when I wasn't driving, it was like Gorilla Biscuits, and you know, <laughs> New York Hardcore. Yeah, you know, Judge, you know, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you know, were you guys straight edge? No, people. <laughs> we would get labeled as straight edge or Krishna or Christian or whatever, but everybody had sort of different ideologies in the band, which was pretty cool, but. Um, I was not straight edge or vegetarian or Christian or Krishna or any of that shit. So, so aside from working at the record store, what really brought you into like electronic music culture is that I'm not even aware of how long you've been living in New York. Did that happen in New York or, um, well, it's kind of, uh, it's a little disjointed. I mean, I've always been really interested in it and I have been, since I lived in Florida, I would, um, I was very much in that, um, schematic uh beta bodega scene that happened yep. in the late 90s early 2000s um so i would be in miami constantly for parties um uh and it was it was cool you know there would be like the uh beta bodega coalition through uh an anti uh winter music conference party i, called, I mean yeah, yeah i remember Infiltrate. that <laughs> not from being there but yeah. from seeing the flyer and being like yes yeah there's one cool thing happening yeah. It was super awesome. So, I, you know, that sort of was the beginning for me. And then I, I'd lived in Los Angeles and I would go to, you know, parties there. And, um, but I, I think I, I didn't really like party, you know, like really stay till five, six in the morning, probably until, you know, the last three, four years, maybe. Oh, wow. Like pretty much around the time that I met all you guys, you know, what I, you know, I, cause I would go to bunkers. Like I am the first bunker I went to, I think I went to go see, uh, James Kirby VBM. Oh, yeah. the one where he rolled around on yes. the floor and, he and tore knocked down, people over. <laughs> he tore down and the tore down Demdike Dare's screen <laughs> and ruined <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, so that I that was an interest. That, that was, was uh, an interesting one. Now, yeah. welcome to the family. Yeah, <laughs> don't get run over by <laughs> James Leland Kirby. Yeah, so I, you know, I went to go see him. You know, I, I he's an old friend of mine from Florida. I knew him when he would. I, I don't even think he. Yeah, actually, did play in Florida, but he uh, I had a, a group of friends of mine in Florida that were all friends oh. with him, and so that's sort of how that happened. That's how. Um, Actually, the, the first time I ever went to Europe, I like hung out with him in London before he moved to Berlin. And um, so, yeah, so that was my whole, like, that was my first bunker experience. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what is <laughs> this is awesome. I don't know if it's I'm one of the this. most ridiculous <laughs> events we've ever had. Yeah. I, I can't even remember the content of his set. I just remember he was playing and he was angry that people were talking and not paying attention. Oh, yeah. And I was standing by the booth, and he was like, I'm about to bowl all these people over. And, and I was like, cool, man, do it. And I thought he meant, like, 
he was going to play something really intense and oh, bowl yeah. them over with sound, but he actually rolled up into a ball and went through <laughs> the crowd, knocking as many people over as he could. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was, like, basically moshing around yeah. <laughs> that side room at Public Assembly. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty... That was wild. Uh, so, music aside, you're pretty big into food and wine. Yes. And specifically, Mexican food. I still yes. think you've made definitely the best tacos I've ever had in New York. Like, how how did well, this happen? <laughs> yeah. I mean, making your own tortillas, your own salsas, yeah. the fried shrimp, the whole thing. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty serious. I mean, you know, it runs in my blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do happen to be Mexican. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I just... Um, I don't think, I, honestly, nobody even really showed me how to make anything. My dad sort of makes his own version of Mexican food, which isn't like true authentic, but um, I think just I figured it out yeah. <laughs> somehow. Why, why do you think that like 99% of Mexican food in New York is total bullshit? Like what's, <laughs> what's up with that? Um, Why, I mean, we can do every other kind of cuisine, but yeah. they seem to fail. So, I mean, I go to the West Coast and I just want to cry. Yeah. It's so much better. It's You know, I, I don't, I'd like to chalk it up to say there aren't like enough Mexicans but here. They're running, but they're running they all the are. kitchens. They're here. I don't really understand, yeah. you know, maybe it's so, maybe it's the water. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, good chefs too, right? You got to have somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. But half the people that are actually making the food in kitchens in New York, they're, yeah. they're, they're Mexicans. Yeah. That's they're working the, at uh, the restaurants, I guess. <laughs> yeah. They're making, they're making Italian food. They're like, I can make the big bucks. Why am I working at a taqueria? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, I, the, the two biggest things for me and, uh, that you don't get much here, uh, that lack are one good tortillas. Yeah. Like homemade tortillas. Yeah. And then the, like the quality, like, well, uh, this is a generalization, but in general, the quality of like the actual meat and ingredients itself aren't exactly the greatest. They so seem to I, start with really low quality meat. Yeah. So I think that also affects, and it also probably is high rent also here yeah um, yeah it's not a, it's not an expensive food well shout out yeah. to what's the place on Havemeyer? oh uh cerveza uh, Havemeyer. yeah yeah shout out to that place yeah one of the few that's getting it right um and aside from the album you just released on mysteries we should shout out and then we're going to play a track from the remix ep uh what's up with that when is that out uh, um so that's out the 16th yeah 16th of february okay so yeah so it's um four remixes uh one from patrick russell uh another for birds of prey uh gunner haslam and tidel um it's awesome they all did insane jobs with the remixes um i have a bonus track uh that uh cut from the record that didn't make it on the record that is also on there um cool and that's going to be digital only Grant? digital only yeah the remix okay. series will all be digital releases yeah so check out the mysteries of the deep Bandcamp. that's the best most supportive way to listen to and buy all this music and i think we're gonna end the show here by listening to at least a little bit of the patrick russell remix of certain creatures yeah so thanks, thanks again, again for joining us yeah, yeah thank you great. so much and uh yeah we've got a few minutes left here to listen to this remix You've been listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. Oh, and also meant to mention uh, the next show is Todd Osborne.
on Red Bull Radio, who always does an amazing job, so stay tuned for that. 